The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. It is February 7th. Hope everybody is doing well. We are going to talk about why the Packer Super Bowl anniversary is a sad reminder of what could have been. We'll also talk about the Bucks starting off hot on the West Coast road trip. Some thoughts from the Bucks Blazers, as well as hand out some golden kegs. Uh, Marquette is up to number 10. This dream season continues. We'll talk about the ramifications in the next couple of weeks. We'll also do a UConn preview. And that'll be today's show. I don't have any Chuck's Corners. I'm currently at war with my dog in terms of a nighttime routine where it makes me feel like a parent. I realize I'm not a parent. I know parents struggle with nighttime routines. Me and the dog right now are like, if it, we're like Russia-Ukraine right now. It's like that bad. Um, but not to be dramatic, I'm waiting for her to bark at any moment now as I entered the podcast studio uh, here as the Bucks are wrapping up in the fourth quarter. But anyways, uh, so that's your mini Chuck's Corner before we get started. Uh, just a reminder, follow us on social media, Tabby Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok, Tabby the Keg on Twitter. Uh, we will have an announcement around the name here coming up. Uh, so stay tuned. That's a little tease. It'll be there on Wednesday uh, with Mitch, or a Thursday show. So Wednesday night, Thursday show with Mitch. We're, uh, we're announcing something a little special there. And then uh, make sure that you're subscribed. Uh, and if you are subscribed, rate and review. Uh, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. If you joined us for the Murph Pod and you decided to stick around for another day, welcome. This is just solo Chuck. Uh, it's a little different. Uh, and if you haven't listened to the Murph Super Bowl Pod yet, go back and listen to that. For Monday, uh, we are doing five shows this week, I think. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, definitely going to have one tomorrow reacting to what happened when Mark had a new con. Um, we'll also hit on a couple little things here and there. Probably a shorter show on uh, Wednesday. Then we'll do Mitch on Thursday, tapping the keg. I think we have 495 for us. So we're headed down the barrel to the big 500. And then Friday, I'm going to do a Friday show. I do not know where I will be from a hangover perspective, but... We are going to sack up and do it. It will come a little bit later, so just be aware. Uh, so if you are someone who listens early in the morning, that Friday show will be late uh, because I'm going to the UWM game, uh, sitting courtside, fired up, bummed out they lost to Green Bay tonight. Uh, if my Wisconsin friends were smart, they would have chirped me that Wisconsin got another win over Marquette because it was Freddie Owens over Bart Lundy, who's a former Marquette. But I have to do the work for them. That's okay. But anyways, so I'm going to the game. Might do Lakers box in the in the evenings. You have a late night box game. Might head out for that. If we'll see how my friends are feeling, we'll see how everybody's feeling. Uh, if they want to turn it into one of those nights, or if everyone just wants to go home, I'm not sure. We'll we'll have to uh, wait and see. And basically, that'll be dependent on what you get from me. It is the trade deadline. I'm bummed out. Mitch and I can't react to it in the moment. I have suggested some different alternative options for him and I to look into it. Um, we'll go through that probably on Wednesday's podcast. But yes, look forward to all of that. And now that you guys have the schedule, now that you guys are good to go, probably like waste no time, let's let's get here. Let's talk about the uh, Green Bay Packers and the Super Bowl anniversary. So it's the 12th anniversary of the Green Bay Packers winning the Super Bowl yesterday. Uh, and I can remember where I was watching the Packers win that. I was at my buddy Eric's house. I remember going out to the streets of Water Street in Eau Claire, celebrating a Packer victory. Eric's girlfriend at the time nearly got arrested for flashing. Like, I mean, it was just a, it was an unbelievable night. Like it was a unfucking real night. Um, and I woke up that morning like a kid on Christmas because the Packers were not only Super Bowl champions. I was going to class with a shitty and green because of that. 
and the fact that Vikings fans were coming to terms with the Packers, getting it done, what they couldn't do the year before with Brett Favre and their team. And I was in Eau Claire at the time. And so there were a lot of Vikings fans. There were a lot of Favre fans. And it was a great time to be a Packer fan. I could make the argument that 2009 to 2011 might have been my favorite time to be a Packer fan because I was in Eau Claire where I was dealing with Vikings fans all the time. It's partly why I hate Vikings fans much more than I hate Chicago Bear fans is because those were wars for a while, especially when Favre came to Minnesota. That was quite the year. And I, I feel like I've recanted the Bounty Gate story and what that was like. I think I mentioned that with Murph on yesterday's podcast, actually. But yes, so yeah, the Packers get it done. It's this, you know, it's incredible achievement. It's Aaron Rodgers, the next generation of Green Bay Packer quarterbacks, and all the platitudes that went with the Green Bay Packers winning that Super Bowl. But if you were to tell me on that day, if you were to stop me on the bridge that's crossing the Chippewa River in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and said, the Packers will not only never win another Super Bowl in the next 12 years, but they will also not get there. They won't even get there. They won't even sniff the Super Bowl. I would tell you to fuck off. And sniffing's a little dramatic because Packers have got to the NFC Championship a couple different times, but they were never actually in the Super Bowl since that day 12 years ago. That's absolutely incredible. And to think that, like, that it's hard to comprehend. It truly is. When you had Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it, not make it back to a Super Bowl seems like out of this world. Like it, it doesn't seem possible. But it happened with Dan Marino and it might be happening with Aaron Rodgers again. Now Rodgers won one, Marino didn't, but you get the point. Aaron Rodgers does have four MVPs, but that means absolutely nothing when we're having this conversation. The Packers have come close so many times and I hate to be the one that's reminding you of all of it, but 2014 was the comedy of errors in a collapse unlike most. I think we can be thankful as fans that 28-3 happened shortly thereafter or that Malcolm Butler made that interception in the Super Bowl so Seattle didn't win. It was actually really interesting. I was listening to Chris Berman on part of my take and Chris Berman was talking about like the best Super Bowls he's ever seen because it's going to be his 41st Super Bowl in a row witnessing which is absolutely incredible. Like that's awesome. And that's something that I think all of us as sports fans would die for. But Berman mentioned how the Seahawks and Patriots were one of the best ones and how it, it kind of changed football for that decade. Because if you think about it, Seattle would have won their second Super Bowl. I actually think it would be the second straight Super Bowl for Seattle. They would have had a chance for a three-peat the following year. It was led by defense where the league would have trended more into the defensive direction. But because Tom Brady won that Super Bowl, Tom Brady was basically to reset sort of the, the last era of Brady, right? It, it, he Brady, in a weird way, had a similar career to Michael Jordan where he had these different pit stops. And that was the start of the next pit stop because at that point, the narrative was that Tom Brady couldn't win Super Bowls anymore. Remember, he had lost the 2007 Super Bowl. He had lost the 2011 Super Bowl. And he was on the verge of losing yet another Super Bowl. But that did not happen. Uh, instead, the Patriots won that game and everything changed. And so Packers probably should be really grateful that they did not see the team win that. Then in 2016, they ran out of gas. They just ran out of players. The infamous Ladarius Gunther on Julio Jones 
was an absolute clusterfuck. The Packers just didn't have enough bodies. And honestly, that happens, okay? Like, I, I think 2016 is one I can put to bed and be okay with and live with every day I, I go on. 2019, similarly, Packers were somewhat fraudulent. Like, the Vikings of this year, the Packers were a better version of the Vikings of this year, but it was a, a lot of the similar stories, right? The Packers won a ton of one-score games that year. They had pulled a bunch of games out. They found ways to win, and, and you know, I podcast back then. You could go back and listen if you really cared, but I think at that point, I was selling the idea of, okay, Packers are just finding ways to win. They're finding ways to win. They're going to keep finding all the ways to win to the Super Bowl. They ran into a buzzsaw that was the emerging San Francisco 49ers, and the 49ers ran up and down the field on them. Then in 2020, that should have been a Super Bowl for the Green Bay Packers. David Bakhtiari is healthy. The Packers have another Super Bowl. I've said that for a very long time, and I, I still mean it to this day. 2021 was the final cherry on top of what this shit show has been since 2014 with a collapse from the quarterback this time. That it wasn't a collapse from anyone else, it was from the quarterback. And he failed to deliver in the biggest moment there when they needed him the most, when the defense finally stood up, when they finally gave the Packers a shot, Aaron Rodgers was nowhere to be found. And that was also another very winnable Super Bowl year. So the question comes, well, could the Packers have had a dynasty? They, like, obviously, we would, we would just like one more Super Bowl, right? Who knows where Aaron Rodgers is at right now? Maybe he's retired. Maybe he's just talking about astrology at the Super Bowl throughout. Um, but would there have been dynasty potential? And there, there are a couple different instances where you could make that case. Dynasties are so hard in football, right? Like they are something that doesn't get created overnight, obviously. I'd say long sustained, you know, era, if you will. I, I think the conversation about the Chiefs being a dynasty will definitely be talked about if Kansas City were to win on Sunday against Philadelphia. New England obviously had a dynasty for a long time. We just mentioned Chris Berman's hypothesis that, that Seattle would have been a dynasty of their own had they won that Super Bowl against the Patriots. I, he, he, like, this whole thing for the Packers to get at dynasty levels starting in 2010, 2011, it wasn't necessarily smoke and mirrors. That offense was unbelievable that year. It was just a great offensive team, but they could do nothing defensively. Romeo Cornell figures out how to stop that offense, and Mike McCarthy makes absolutely no fucking adjustments whatsoever. He did not adjust his offense at all, so it couldn't happen. So then you look at 2012, right? Uh, that could be thrown out because the Packers couldn't figure out to stop Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Dom Capers, after that year, you can look it up, was like, oh, I studied all of these college defense, college offenses. I met with college coaches. I know what I have to do against Colin Kaepernick. They lost again to Colin Kaepernick. Granted, game was a lot closer in 2013, which was kind of a weird year in general because Rodgers broke his collarbone, but you have an iconic Rodgers moment finding Randall Cobb. But 2013, that Packer team was not going to win a title either. So it's like, okay, 2014, the second Super Bowl should have happened then, whether the Packers should have won or not. I, I don't know if they would have been favored against that Patriots team. I'd have to look back. But 
hypothetically saying, okay, 2010, 2014, you have two Super Bowls. If they were able, because I think after 2014, if the Packers were to win that Super Bowl or even to get there, I think everything down the down the road is entirely different. Like it is an entirely different story. And we've talked, I think, in other podcasts about Mike McCarthy might still be the coach here, or he might have got fired two years later, or who the hell knows, but it, it would not have been the same outcome. And that's the part of it that just makes you wonder. You know, the crazy thing is the Packers could have had another dynasty at the very end of Rodgers' career. We mentioned it with 2020. 2020, they were good enough to win that Super Bowl. That Chiefs team was fraudulent, and the Buccaneers exposed them. You have David Bakhtiari, you win that Super Bowl. Then in 2021, the Rams really weren't that good. Matt Stafford had a lot of issues with playing in Green Bay. There are a lot of demons that lay there. Uh, Matt LaFleur has had an edge over Sean McVay. Like everything lined up for the Green Bay Packers to win, to at least get to the Super Bowl. And then you had a Cincinnati Bengals team who was, they played close a few, like was that week five of 2021, but they beat them and they'd already seen the Bengals. And yeah, maybe Cincinnati was a little bit better, but it was a little, little too early for Cincinnati. I think Green Bay wins that. So think about that. And, and would Rodgers be the quarterback right now? Probably not. He probably would have retired, right? Back-to-back Super Bowls. Basically it's John Elway and he goes out like Elway. The Broncos had their late stage dynasty for their quarterback. That could have happened too for Rodgers. And then this this 12-year memory, and I know 12 years is nothing in terms of anniversaries, right? You You don't get fired up for your 12 year, but I felt like it was a good topic just considering where we are today. But what comes clear is that the Green Bay Packers missed so many opportunities. It's fucking hard to win Super Bowls. I've said that I don't know how many times. I've said it's even hard to get there. It's hard to win championships. I mean that for every team. I mean that for the Bucs. I mean that for the Brewers. I mean that for the Badger football team. I mean that for the Marquette basketball team. It is hard. It is not easy. And I, I think fans take that for granted. It's one of my big sticking points. It's why I feel like I'm a little different than a lot of other people. And I think a lot of others come off a little bit whiny in nature because they don't understand how hard it is. But it never seemed like the Green Bay Packers made the swift decisions when they absolutely needed to. Whether it was Dom Capers realizing he couldn't stop a fucking running quarterback to save his soul. Whether it was Mike McCarthy lost the touch of this team after the 2014 collapse. He should have been out of there after 2015. People forget that 2016, that 2016 team, that run the table team to a 4-6. and six. And everybody, including your boy who was writing at the time, calling for Mike McCarthy's job, they pull it out of their ass, they find a way to win, and it buys McCarthy two more years, and the Packers were absolutely fucking awful for those two years. And potentially, Aaron Rodgers, potentially, Joe Barry, we'll have to see. This might be the exact same podcast three years from now when it's the 15th anniversary and the Packers are still stuck in neutral. But I believe that there is something maybe left in Aaron Rodgers. I'm still holding out hope that there is still one more big moment out of that. Or the new kid, Jordan Love, and we reset the clock and the era of Aaron Rodgers is officially done. But instead of watching the Green Bay Packers take on the Kansas City Chiefs as a throwback to the first ever Super Bowl, we are listening to what Aaron Rodgers thinks about astrology. Good, great, grand, wonderful. 
your summarization, and the timeline of the last 12 years of the Green Bay Packers. So while we talk about anniversaries and we want to remember the good times, we want to remember one of the best days in Packer history, it's still a hurtful reminder of what could have been for the Green Bay Packers. Yes, there were some happy times. There were some good times. There were the Packers finding their way to the doorstep, but they never were allowed back in the door. And who knows when Green Bay will get there again. Stick with the NFL real quick before we move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Brian Flores, the Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator. That's a great hire for the Minnesota Vikings. It continues to enforce what a potential colossal mistake Matt LaFleur made by keeping Joe Barry. Uh, Brian Flores is a better defensive coordinator than Joe Barry. He runs circles around Joe Barry. Uh, what the Bears have with Matt Eberflus, I think helping out with the defense, but Matt Eberflus and his defensive coordinator, his name's lost on me, probably better than Joe Barry. I don't know if Aaron Glenn's better than Joe Barry. I know the Lions came on strong late, but Aaron Glenn had some issues. I actually didn't understand why Aaron Glenn was getting interviewed for jobs because I didn't really necessarily think he deserved it. I'm like, that Lions defense stunk. They were not good for a, for a long part of that season. But Joe Barry, like, Malifor is making a very, very risky decision. I, do I think it will cost Matt LaFleur his job? Probably not because we just went over why the Packers, they don't make moves like this. They don't, they don't get rid of guys. You know, they, they take their time. But man, he really believes in this because also Elijah Evro, who we mentioned yesterday on yesterday's pod, he took the Carolina job. Matt LaFleur's playing with fire, man. Like he, he truly is. He truly, truly is. And maybe he'll be right. Maybe Matt, it was all along and LaFleur knew what he was talking about. Packers have a top 10 defense, and that's one of the reasons why Green Bay will be really good next year. And Brian Gutekunst has invested so much draft capital in this defense that they believe Joe Barry is the guy that can lead this team to water, which is a very successful and a very strong defense and a defensive-led team, which I think Green Bay wanted to do. I think Green Bay wanted to have a team similar to what the Denver Broncos had with Peyton Manning, where Peyton Manning didn't have to do everything. The defense made plays put Peyton in a position to win, especially in that 2015 year when his arm had fallen off. That's what I thought they wanted to do with Aaron Rodgers, and they have not accomplished that mission. So they are pushing forward, but raises some major red flags for Matt LaFleur and puts a lot of things into question. We'll just have to see. But man, is that under a microscope. The Joe Barry stuff has just gotten worse. Like It, it hasn't gotten better. It has gotten worse. Nothing on the Rogers front besides the astrology, astrology, uh, astrology. There we go. Uh, stuff going on today, like nothing really. It seems like everybody's focused on Super Bowl, which is what it should be. Um, I'm sure Roger stuff will kick back up after people get bored and have nothing more to talk about. And how many times can you talk about Travis Kelsey playing against his brother Jason? Uh, you, you know, you run out of it. So we'll we'll have to see, um, and we'll see if their their Roger news, Roger stuff bubbling to the top before the end of the week. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the team who has the re most recent championship in the state of Wisconsin, did the damn thing yet again tonight, beating up on the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, it wasn't really a game. The Bucks were in control for all of it. Uh, they win 127 to 108. Brooke Lopez led the way with 27 points. And I think it's just another reminder of how good this team has looked in the last few few games. We didn't talk a lot about the Miami game uh, because Murph and I did more of a Super Bowl pod, but 
it, it just looks easy right now for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't mean that as sort of overconfident or cocky, but it, it just seems like they are clicking on all cylinders. And I actually really liked Middleton in the second second rotation. Like I didn't realize that I would like that, but it, it's almost like the cure for not having Bobby Portis out there and having Middleton with that secondary lineup actually really helps things. And now you're starting to see a little more with Giannis, Drew, and Chris. And Bud has made it clear, I think it was after the Clippers game, uh, that he's like, yeah, you're going to see a lot of, of the big three together. Like this, like this is only temporary. Like it's not going to be this all year. But if Bobby Portis is going to come back after the All-Star break, why not just ride out this Middleton until Middleton sort of minute restriction until the All-Star break? Make sure that Middleton is there for the long run. I don't maybe he rests against the Clippers. I hope Middleton plays. I think that would be an awesome sign if you have Middleton for back-to-back, especially because the Bucks have a lot of time off right now. Uh, they they don't. I think they don't play till Tuesday against the Celtics after their Friday game against the Clippers, and they have two nights off now in Los Angeles. So like they have a lot of time right now, and two nights off in Los Angeles. I mean. That is party time for the boys, and I hope the boys enjoy it. I just hope they don't enjoy it too much because I do want to see them kick the Lakers' ask, ask ass on uh, LeBron's potentially uh, record-breaking night uh, because that's yeah, you just you just gotta win that game. Like that's no questions asked. Like the you gotta win, you have to win that one. That has to be a Milwaukee Bucks victory, but. Yeah, it should be. It, it could be a really, really good run here, and then you have a big match with the Celtics on Valentine's Day, which will be as big as any. That is a Chuck's Corner uh, topic for later in the week or to start next week, which we can talk about at great length. Yeah, they have a lot of time off right now, uh, so this is a good opportunity for the Milwaukee Bucks not only to get healthy but to continue to find what works. And the question now becomes, what will this Bucks team look like? Come Thursday, we'll talk deadline with Mitch, the Jay Crowder deal. We'll see if it actually happens. We'll see if there's other deals that are potentially in the works. If the Bucks try to get a backup big to replace uh, what they lost on Serge Ibaka, I personally think that they're going to wait till the buyout market for that because I think there's just a lot of buyout bigs that become available. Will they go after a backup point guard? I don't know. Javon Carter's on a nice little stretch here off the bench, so I don't know if that's something they exactly need. Uh, will, will they try to add to their rotation? I, I don't know. Um, that's that's something that I think you you have to at least wonder about. Like, could you really shoot the moon here? I think there are so many teams that need guys that have better asset collection than the Milwaukee Bucks. That might be hard to do, right? Would it be awesome to have a guy like OG Ananobi on the Bucks? Hundred percent. Like that would be amazing. Like that would be a great like succession line, if you will for the next generation of the Milwaukee Bucks. But if you believe the rumors that are true, John Gambino, who had this, and he's not been the most reliable source. He's also said the Crowder deal is dead. Uh, he also, what did he had? He had something he reported way wrong, uh, Bucks related a few years ago. But anyways, he said that the Raptors don't want to play OG because of all the injury issues and things they had in the past. It sounds a little Brogdon-ish, like a little bit like what the Bucks dealt with Malcolm Brogdon, where they didn't want to pay him because they knew his medicals weren't good. And if the team team doctors know the medicals aren't good, the medicals aren't good. So we have to see on that. That's the one, that's the one storyline that I wonder if that comes out. Like if they if OG doesn't get traded, if they're like, yeah, the team doctors of the Grizzlies or of the Suns were were scared of his medicals. 
And we'll see we'll see about a lot of other you know little things here and there. But yeah, this Bucks lineup I thought tonight, which was interesting, and I, I didn't look at the uh, closing time minutes. I started to tape the podcast. Did George Hill and Jordan Orr get in the game? No. Ooh, that is interesting. George, so uh, Paul Pressey on Twitter pointed this out, Paul Pressey 25, that Nora and Hill did not play in this game where Bud was basically prepping that they will not be here. That is really, really fascinating that in the final few minutes, you had Bochamp out there, you had Anasis out there, you had Mamu out there. Bochamp took Jordan Nora's minutes. It wasn't just, hey, it's a nice homecoming. Bochamp had 300 people in attendance, which is fucking awesome uh, and good for Marjan. But it really wasn't about you know a homecoming and Bud doing the nice thing. No, it was that Jordan Nora is getting traded. Uh, and I think that sign is abundantly clear with both Nora and George Hill not playing in this game. So that is fascinating. That is a, it's a little nugget to take away from this one. But all in all, a very good Bucks win. I wish there were more teams like the Portland Trailblazers out there because it's just an awful matchup for Portland when it comes to Milwaukee. They are so big. Uh, they have nobody that can stop Giannis Antetokounmpo or Brook Lopez. And it showed, it definitely showed tonight. And yeah, there's not a ton of them that are like this, but glad, glad at least there is one in uh in portland because usually it's pretty easy sledding uh for the milwaukee bucks i think i don't know what they i can't remember the last time the bucks lost to the portland trailblazers i'd have to look up the uh bucks blazers history but it, it i don't think it is much if you look at historic let's see i'm gonna look it up see see what we have land of basketball which is i it's a weird site but it always pops up when you're looking for history oh the blazers won last year they beat the bucks 122 to 107 in Port are uh, in Milwaukee uh, that on Valentine's Day, so that was unfortunate. Uh, Bucks overall though are 80 and 53 against the Portland Trailblazers. But before that, the Bucks had won five straight game or six straight games against the Blazers, and then they swept the series this year. So eight, so they've won eight of their last nine against Portland. Uh, the last time Portland won consecutive games against Milwaukee, you'd have to go all the way back to. 2013 into the 2014 season. That is a long, long time ago. So yeah, the Bucks have had some good success against this Blazer team in the Giannis era. And yeah, the winning streak continues on now. You have an eight game, eight game winning streak. Uh, you keep pace with the with the Boston Celtics, where the Bucks are only a half game back. The Celtics to beat the Detroit Pistons tonight, but. The Bucks are Bucks are lurking, man. You have to take the Bucks seriously. I'm surprised that the conversation has not been around the Giannis MVP push, around the Bucks, you know, finding a way to basically be at the top, even though that they have been hurt all year. Like I thought it was a little unfortunate where Bills was like, oh, we have to sweat out the Bucks winning, I think, 50 games. I'm like, are, have you watched this Bucks team in the last two weeks? They've been just absolutely wrecking teams. And the way that they wrecked Miami and Portland, who are well, Miami's a playoff team, and the Bucs were in control that entire game. Like, it was close at times, but the Bucs always sort of had it on a string. Like, it was like a yo-yo, right? Like, yeah, the Heat would come back, and then he'd just rip it out, and then be like, okay, Bucks are up eight. He would come back. Bucks go up eight. Like, it was the entire game was controlled by Milwaukee, the Milwaukee professional basketball team. And that was so good to see because that you those Heat games are not like that, right? We have not seen that against the Miami Heat, but they were in – complete control and Giannis Antetokounmpo had a triple double in that game 35 points 15 boards and 11 assists and he struggled mightily against Bam and it wasn't even a thing there wasn't even an issue with Bam Adebayo last night on Saturday night so 
that's really encouraging. And then, yes, the Portland matchup we just discussed. Like, it's not it's not ideal for the Blazers, but the, the Bucks laid waste to them on the road. First game of a West Coast road trip. Sometimes that's a year a little sluggish, you're a little sleepy. Long travel, right? You only had a day off, right? You only had Sunday off. Giannis had some Nike obligations, which he made the Stay Freaky shirt, which was on social earlier today. Like, none of that fucking mattered. Bucks blew him out. It's, it's really good right now, man. I have some really, really good vibes about this team, and I am so excited for the Lakers game. I really don't want LeBron to make the record. I will, get, I will put it out right now. I've went back and forth on this topic. I think last week I was like, no, I don't, wanna, I don't want to share the spotlight with LeBron. Now I do. I have a dream scenario. I did tweet it out in, in my mentions, so you won't find it on an actual tweet. I'm going to set the scene for Mitch. I hope LeBron doesn't break it tonight because I have the scene for Mitch. I have to hold it in. I have to keep it together, but I want to paint a picture for it's a, it's a, it's definitely fantasy. It's definitely straight out of like a movie, if you will. But I have, I have the perfect scenario. I really do. And that is maybe my best screening tease of my life. Let's move on to uh, Golden Kegs. We do this for most Bucks games. Uh, I wouldn't say we do it for everyone, but we try to get as many as we can. Talk about the best and worst players. Three Kegs being the best, one Keg being the worst. Uh, we also try to get these on social media. Uh, Tabby the Keg Sports on TikTok. Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram. Uh, you'll see them on both. You'll see one. I do actually, I actually put it on Twitter too, Tabby the Keg. So you can see them all, all over the place. But anyways... Three kegs tonight. I uh, got to give it to Brook Lopez. Uh, leading scorer tonight, 27 points. He goes over 15,000 for his career, which is awesome to see. Great accomplishment for Brook Lopez. Marcus Johnson mentioned that he never got to 15,000. No granted, different eras. I think Lisa Byington also made a comment that playoff points should count, which would be crazy for Kareem, right? I, I don't know if Kareem ever missed the playoffs. I'd have to go back. I'd have to look at that. But if you, you counted Kareem's playoff points as well as his regular season points, that would be un- absurd. But Brooke finishes with 27. Uh, he was 9 of 12 from the field. He had two main threes. He also had nine rebounds. He nearly, nearly had a triple double, or a double double, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, good night for Brooke. Uh, he was hot from the start. I think he had 15 in the first half. Uh, was really the catalyst to pushing that Bucks lead out. Uh, two kegs. I'll go Giannis Antetokounmpo. Even though it was a rough night from a foul and a turnover perspective, Giannis had five fouls, but the refs were that were that was bad, bad officiating tonight. Uh, definitely could be a one keg nominee. Uh, and then six turnovers. So yeah, there were some issues there, but 24, 24 points on fourteen shots, thirteen rebounds, eight assists. Like you have to at least acknowledge the night that Giannis had like in 23 minutes so that's the other thing like he barely played this game the guy nearly got a fucking triple double like just incredible shit for Antetokounmpo uh just really really awesome to see a really really good night for him uh one keg I'm gonna give it to Grayson Allen I love Marcus Johnson we can give it to refs we give it to refs I feel like I've been hounding Grayson Allen let's give it to refs refs were awful I want to talk about Grayson for a second before we go to the before we go to the refs just real quick on Grayson I love Marcus Johnson. I think he's one of the best in the business. I think he might be the best. I think it's a reason why if you were even a casual NBA fan, like that's why you'd watch Bucks games. Listen to Marcus Johnson because he teaches. And he was great tonight. Like definitely a three-keg performance for Marcus Johnson. Uh, he made a comment like, oh, Grace Allen's not scoring because he's guarding Anthony, Anthony Simons all game. And Simons uh, had an okay night, 21 points, but he had it on 16 shots. Uh was held in check behind the arc, uh, one of five. But come on, Mark. 
I love I love Marcus, but that there was a bridge too far. That's not why Grayson Allen only had three points in this game. Uh, but yeah, one kegs of the refs. We had a two-man ref crew. I have no idea why we had a two-man ref crew. I don't know if it was a travel, somebody was sick, COVID, who knows, right? Uh, they're still canceling games for COVID in 2023, which is fucking wild. Uh, but not a third ref was an issue. Uh, these guys just had no idea what they were doing. Then all of a sudden, they were just trying to keep the Blazers in the game in the fourth quarter. It's like, all right, guys, this night game's not on TV. It's a Monday night in the association. No one's really watching. Most Bucks fans are already in bed. Blazers fans have gone on to do other things. They're chilling out. They're good. Everybody's good. Just end this fucking game. Let the Bucks cook. And the refs kept it close for God knows any reason. No one, no one could give an explanation why the refs decided to do that in this game. But they were, they were bad. So less two-man ref crews. I highly doubt we will see a two-man ref crew uh, when the Bucks take on the Lakers on Thursday night. I also hope uh, because of all the time off the Bucks have, I hope they play full squad against the Clippers. I, I really do. Uh, I think I want to kind of establish myself or, well, I'm talking about the team. I want the Bucks to establish themselves like as the big dicks in the Cracker Factory against that Clipper team because that's the team you could see in the finals. And I think that's, it's, it's a worthy opponent to not want to take that second half of a back-to-back off. So yes, that's the Golden Kegs. Let us know if we missed anybody. Uh, happy to discuss that. And yeah, you should see those on the socials for today. Let's move on to the Marquette Golden Eagles. I uh, added this at the end as they do play today. I do try to do that uh, if there is a big game going on. I, I try to bring the previews at the end because I know not everybody listens day of. Um, so if when we talk about Marquette UConn, which we'll talk about in a second here, uh, I could look like a complete fool. I could look like a complete idiot. Uh, but I also could maybe look savvy. We'll just have to see. So Marquette's now up to number 10. They're a top 10 team. The top 10 Marquette Golden Eagles. Yes, that's how you can call them. It's been a dream season for Marquette. Uh, it, it's It's been amazing. It's been an awesome, unbelievable ride. I mean, I still remember. I have season tickets. I have four games. I was at the Baylor game. And I can still remember watching them absolutely dominate Baylor. And... It's hard to remember a, a game where a team was in full control like that at a college level. Like I, the Bucks have had a couple of those games where they just blow you out from the start and it's over. Like first quarter, it's done. Like remember that Heat playoff game, game two, where the Bucks just could not miss in the first quarter and the game was over. That it felt like that for Marquette against Baylor, and you kind of thought at that point maybe there was something special. Now they go on and they lose to Wisconsin, and you're like, okay, take a step back. Like maybe maybe it's not here. And then they just kept piling up wins. They kept getting big win after big win. And now the Marquette Golden Eagles are a top 10 basketball team. They are the highest ranked Big East team at the moment. Uh, They are knocking on the door of a three or maybe even a two seed in terms of the NCAA tournament. Again, we have, I think, five weeks to go before the brackets are, are revealed. But this has been one of the best years for Marquette. It's one for the memory books. Uh, yes, things could happen in the next month that could turn this thing down south. But as I think a lot of my MUBB Twitter friends would say, it's it's been a great year. It's been one of the best seasons of their lifetime. I don't think I'm putting words in their, their mouth. Like This has just been so fucking fun. And I think part of it is just the revival of it all, right? The Marquette has been in the gutter. Uh, the Steve Wojciechowski era was brutal. Uh, and Shaka last year kind of pulled it out of the dirt. Like he was just starting to unearth it. Like 
Think about, I'm trying to think, like an archaeological dig, maybe. I don't want to call them archaeological, like a fossil program, but like it was really, really fucking bad for a while. And Shaka started to kind of knock some of the dust off, and now he's propped it back up. And now Marquette is in a position to succeed. I also think for Marquette fans, I, I would say I, the Wisconsin rivalry doesn't affect me as much as it used to when I was younger. But for those true diehards, they have to love what's fucking going on right now. Wisconsin's a mid-tier Big Ten team. They might not make the tournament. A lot of Marquette fans wonder how they lost to that team. But Mar- but the Marquette is the team of Wisconsin right now. They are owning the state. And that hasn't been said in a very long time, right? Even when Marquette was good under Buzz Williams, Wisconsin was right there. Wisconsin, would they make the Elite Eight or are they losing the Sweet I think they lost the Sweet 16 uh, in 2013. You guys would have to check that on me. But then literally right after that is the Sam Decker, the Frank Kaminsky era of Marquette ba- or of Wisconsin basketball, excuse me, bad that slip there, where the Badgers just reign supreme. And it's kind of been that way ever since. Marquette has taken that back, at least for this year. Now, it'll be on them to continue that and to kind of establish themselves, and that will take time. But if they do get to a Final Four, if they, they do push into a big, deep run, you're going to have a lot more Marquette fans that reside in southeastern Wisconsin and all over the state. The Marquette bandwagon, it might take a while to fill up, but it will be there, especially if the Badgers don't make it. There are a lot of people outside of this 90-mile area, which I've talked about before, who are Marquette and Wisconsin fans. It's hard to believe for some people, but they do exist. And if Wisconsin's not there, that is going to go more towards Marquette. There are tweets out there where it's like, I wish Wisconsin played more like Marquette. So all of this is benefiting the School of the Eagles and building this dream season to almost different heights, right? And yeah, there's still four weeks to go in the regular season. And a lot can happen and things could change. And these next two weeks are going to tell us so much about what the Golden Eagles are all about. But that said, like, still you have to, even if things go south, you have to remember what's what's went on here. Like, you have to remember the good times. And yeah, there might be, there might be some bumps. There's going to be some adversity. But this team has responded pretty well. They've got knocked down. They've got kind of right back up. They haven't really... Settled. They haven't lost two straight games this year. They haven't even come close, right? You know, they lost to Xavier, bat, boom, right back up. They lost to Wisconsin. They blew out a non-con opponent in North Carolina Central, which was a definition of a sandwich game. Didn't matter. They blew them out. They didn't care. So Marquette stares down a very tough two weeks. with a four-game stretch where they start with Connecticut tonight, which we're going to talk about here in a second. And then a quick trip to Georgetown. Now, granted, that is not the tough, but I will point out that is as like Butler, it is a sandwich game and Georgetown has been staying close with everybody. I have not had the balls to bet Georgetown plus plus the points the last few weeks and I've been on just an awful gambling run. And I definitely should have because Georgetown's been covered. They might they might not win games, but they're keeping things close. So they've at least figured some things out with them. So it's not a walk through the park. Like it's going to be very important that Marquette doesn't sleepwalk that game, whether they win or lose tonight. Then they come home for Xavier, which is going to be awesome that I've decided I'm going to be in the building for. I 
after I saw that there was a lot of cheap tickets available, I was talking to my wife a little bit about it. She was like, yeah, I don't know. Then my buddy Mosh hit me up. I was like, hi, do you want to go to a game? And I'm like, yeah, in. Like, say no more. Well, let's, let's do it. Uh, so I, I was like, yeah, I got to be in the building for that one. And then they go back out to play Creighton. And yeah, it's, it's, they get some time off. It's not, it's not really like back-to-back. Like Creighton, if they had to go UConn-Creighton, that would be really tough. They don't have to. They get a Saturday off in there. It's a two-week stretch, but it's going to decide a lot. It will decide if Marquette wins their first Big East title since 2013. They may push themselves to a two-seed conversation. They might put themselves into just Final Four contender, not, oh, you know who I think has a chance? Marquette. That, that's where they are right now. That's like the Rob Dosters, the Seth Davises of the world are like, you know, kind of like, oh, keep an eye on Marquette. Like, I don't know. I don't know, Jim. Not, not to a shout out Tony Romo. But like, that's, that's kind of where they are right now. But if they go out here and like go three, let's say they go three and one in this stretch, or they go four and all, which would be incredible, which I, I don't expect. But if they do, then it's not just, hey, maybe. It's like, yeah, no, that's, yeah, Marquette's a, Marquette's a legitimate Final Four contender. And I still think they are right now. Like, I've been talked into it. You got kind of, I wouldn't say I got bullied into it, but it, it's definitely something I'm thinking more about and, and not thinking less about, put it that way. So this matchup tonight with UConn, uh, and it's it's going to be a fun one. It sucks. It's at 5.30. God, I hate that. I hate that so, so much. Uh, I have cleared the deck for myself. Uh, usually, I'm like working till 5.30. My day job, I start a little later, so I, I kind of like, all right, well, we got to figure this all out. But it's a really interesting matchup uh, because where these teams are now is extremely different than where they were at the start of January when they faced off against each other in Milwaukee. In early January, UConn was still rolling. I mean, UConn had lost the game. I think they had, at that point, had lost to Xavier. But they were still playing really good basketball. They were still the talk of the town. Like, everyone thought UConn was a Final Four contender. Now, I think people are wondering, can UConn get out of the first weekend? They've really struggled against teams that aren't the bottom of the barrel. Like, they took care of business against DePaul. They took care of business against Butler. They did have to hold on for Georgetown. But I'd argue that's a rivalry game. That's a game that matters. Uh, so they, they have won those games. No one has faced Marquette. But this is a very tough place to play. Now, granted, they've had experience in tough tough environments, but they have fallen short in Providence and in Xavier. Granted, close close losses. Nothing. The Providence loss was a screw job. I think we can all say that. Xavier loss was just, they didn't make, they missed like two, two more. Xavier made two more shots than Marquette did. That's pretty much it, right? Uh, but, here are the questions I have to, to kind of wrap us up for today and to think about uh, if you are listening to this before the game goes or if these questions come true if you're listening after the game has already happened. Will Oso Iguodara prove to be a maximum nightmare again for the big, slow Huskies? I, I, I mean that in all due respect. Huskies do have some good defenders, but Oso exposed them. Oso really, really did a number on those guys, and they did not really have an answer. And Oso had 19 points. It was probably his best game of the season for him, and he hasn't really emulated that again. It's kind of been a weird couple weeks for the Desert Bear. Like there are, there have been moments here or there, but he really hasn't had that dominant performance since the UConn game. I do wonder: do they go back to that oh so well? Do they try to get him going early and see if that can that can happen also on the road? Will Will Tyler Kolick figure out the Huskies' defense? The only team that Tyler Kolick has really struggled this year against was UConn. He had five turnovers at home last last time around. Will Kolek come through 
on the road here. Uh, Tyler obviously was great in the last road game they played in DePaul where he nearly had a triple-double, which was incredible. One of the best performances I think I've seen all year from a Marquette player and in a long time. Like a full game, not just Marcus Howard lighting up the fucking gym, which were, which was fun. Don't get me wrong. Like, just when Marcus Howard gets on a heater, it was a great, great time. But like what Tyler Kolek did, you could argue, is almost more fun. Uh, and then will Donovan Clegg-Lane find his way back uh, into UConn's good graces? The guy's barely played. Uh, since that Marquette game where he was really good, where he was a, a brute force, uh, he was actually the Ken Palm MVP even though UConn lost. Like, he was that much, like that important to what, what that game was all about. He has not been a factor. He's barely been playing for the Huskies. So is that going to continue? Or are they going to trot him back out similar to Marquette making also more of a focus? I think another question, which I didn't have, but I think worth asking is, is Cam Jones going to come to life here? Cam Jones at that point of the season really was, I wouldn't say it was hitting a, a tough stretch, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't, he had 15 points in that game. He was two of seven from three, but it, it's, he's not on the run that he's been on. Like, so after the Xavier game where he only had 12 points, he struggled from three. Since that game, he had 21 against Providence. He had 22 against Seton Hall. He didn't only have seven against DePaul. He got hurt. Then bounced back for 18 against Villanova. Only had eight against, against Butler. So I, yeah, it's, you know, the Cam Jones has come to life a little bit here late. So will that happen too? It's going to be a really, really fun game. Uh, Ken Palm has Marquette losing by four. Uh, that's what the spread is. Um, that feels like the classic trap lines that we've seen all year. I might fall for it anyways because why not, right? Or maybe just stay away. But it's going to be a really, really fun game, and I look forward to it. And if you could sweep UConn, it just adds to the resume. And you just keep keep pushing forward. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. I, I can't wait for it. And it continues what is an awesome week of Wisconsin sports. Who needs the Super Bowl? Who, who needs the Packers in the Super Bowl when you have the Bucks kicking ass? You have a huge Marquette game tonight. You have Bucks Lakers on Thursday that I'm fired up for. You have Bucks Clippers. Maybe they actually play all their guys on a back-to-back. Like, let's go. Should be should be a good week, even without even with my doom and gloom uh, start with the Green Bay Packers. All right, that does it for today's show. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow to recap Marquette and anything else. That goes on, hopefully a little shorter show than uh, what we did. Since we are doing five shows, maybe this week, uh, we'll definitely try a couple of them to be more of what we had last Friday, where I think it was like a 30-minute show or something like that. Kind of that's what we're we're aiming for uh, next for tomorrow. But we'll, we'll see. You never know. I, I sometimes say that. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a short show. And then I go off for 45 fucking minutes. It's just sometimes I like to talk. I like to hear my, hear my own voice. But follow along on social. Tap in the keg on Twitter. Tap in the keg sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. Uh, we also rate, review, subscribe, do all that. Apple, Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. All right. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Uh, and have a good one. Have a good Tuesday. We'll see you then. Bye.